Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we thank you for people who write music, who um, soak in the, the truths of the scriptures and then put them together with words. We, uh, we thank you for old songs and new songs, uh, songs that we love, songs that are, are challenging. But we pray, Father, most of all, that um, you would use songs to impress the truths of your word into our hearts in a way that's memorable. And so, Father, we, we pray now that as we come back to opening up the Bible, you'd be doing the same thing through spoken word and, and listening. And we pray for your spirit to be at work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, game show time. Do you recognize what this is? Some of you did. Some of you need to go back to school. It's orange juice, right? Um, this is a glass of tang. Now, orange juice is made from oranges. Nothing else, 100% oranges, 100% natural. Tang, which was in the pantry in my childhood, and I must say that we enjoyed it. Put a few extra scoops in the glass, more than it actually says in the instructions. Um, despite what you see in their advertising photo there, Tang is not really made of oranges, it's made in a laboratory. And it comes as a tub full of powder. It's mostly sugar. It's got a bunch of added vitamins, things like beta-carotene, three different colouring agents, and some other things that uh, I can't pronounce. That's Tang. Orange juice, freshly squeezed orange juice, is 100% natural. A tub of Tang includes a photograph of an orange and it claims to have orange natural flavour but when you read the ingredients you discover that the amount of genuine orange juice in Tang is less than 2%. It is not very natural at all. But here's the thing, even if you change the percentages around and so Tang's 98% natural, it still won't be the same as orange juice. It's a very, very different kind of thing. A freshly squeezed orange juice, that's the bomb. That's what you want to have with your breakfast cereal in the mornings. 100% natural, no additives, nothing artificial. It comes straight from the source. There's no tampering, no clever adjustments to make it palatable to modern taste buds. And that's what Paul the Apostle wants us to know, not about orange juice or tang, but about the gospel that he preached in Galatia back in the first century. He wants us to know that he didn't make it up. He wants us to know that the gospel he preached did not come out of a theological laboratory. He wants us to know that it isn't something that he had to get authorization to preach from a, a college or a presbytery or from any human being. He wants us to know the message he preached he got from God. He got it directly from the risen Lord Jesus. And so the message he preached was, had nothing artificial. It came straight from the source. It is 100% not natural, but 100% supernatural. It's a message where God is the author. God is in charge. And because God's in charge of the message he preached, it's something that we can have confidence in. Because God is in charge, we can stand with God and his message and not worry about what other people think. Because this is God's message 100%. It's not something that needs 
tweaking or adjusting to improve it. If anything needs tweaking, it's us human beings. And it's that kind of stuff that we see Paul saying in the passage that was read a little bit earlier by Steve. So Galatians 1 verse 10 through to halfway through chapter 2 is what we're looking at today. Um, Paul is saying to the Galatians here, but also really through the whole of, of his letter to them, he's saying, don't fall for a phony message. Don't fall for the chemically adjusted version of the gospel that's been doing the rounds in, in town recently. Let me take you back to the passage we looked at last week in verse 6 of chapter 1. Paul said there, remember, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's kind of like Paul is saying to them, why on earth have you decided to start drinking Tang? Uh, Tang isn't even close to orange juice. And you've got this limitless supply of freshly squeezed up. I can't believe it. That's kind of the, the context of where we're going. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a bit of time just working through the passage and then have a think about what it looks like for us here in Epping to have confidence in this message that is 100% supernatural, that comes from God. So in the passage, we're going to start at verse 10. <clears throat> There's a question there. Uh, this is the question that... In probably an accusation uh, that Paul is going to answer in the passage that comes uh, from here. So am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? It seems likely that people were saying, so these people who'd come to Galatia after Paul had been there and planted the church and then moved on, people were coming there and saying that Paul was trying to please so Paul had gone to the towns of uh, Lystra and Derby and Iconium. You can read about that in Acts chapter 14. He preached this message, the gospel. People had believed churches had been started. And it seems like people have now come into those towns and they're saying that message that Paul preached to you, it was good, but it wasn't the whole story. It was a trimmed down version of the message. It's like they were saying, look, he didn't want to offend you. There's more to the gospel, but he wanted to make sure that he could win your approval first. So he left out the bit of the message that's kind of tricky, kind of difficult. But we're here to tell you that you need this as well. We need to, we're here to tell you that if, if you really want to be the people of God, you've got to become like the rest of us Jews. And for men, I'm sorry, but that means... You've got to be circumcised. And they're saying, Paul didn't want to offend you or upset you, so he left that bit out. Paul's response is, well, actually, no, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do anything like that. His argument all the way through Galatians is, don't add anything to what God has already done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing else is needed. But people are saying, Paul left stuff out because he's a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser. So how does Paul respond? Well, he says, verse 11, the gospel that he preached was not something that he made up, not something that anybody made up. <coughs> he says, verse 12, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? 
Well, in the book of Acts, Paul gives several accounts of his conversion. Uh, in Acts chapter 9 is the first example, uh, Saul, as he was known then, he was on his way to Damascus with letters from the leaders of the synagogues to arrest Christians and put them in jail. And it talks about how as he was traveling to Damascus, a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground. And in that moment, Jesus revealed himself to him, spoke to Paul, confronted him with the truth that he was the risen savior of the world, the son of God. And Paul was changed. He was converted. So we've got those, those bits of the story here in Galatians. Paul is also telling us a little bit more of that story. He tells us that more than just being confronted by the risen Jesus, this is also he received by revelation the gospel, the message of the gospel. Now, whether that was exactly at the moment on the road or in a time shortly after, it's hard to say. The point is what he is saying is that the message he preached had no additives, it wasn't man-made, and no tampering, it was 100% from God. In verses 13 and 14, he talks about his life before he met Jesus, how he persecuted the church, how he was going flat out to try to destroy it. He talks about how he was as Jewish, verse 13, as Jewish as Jewish can get, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, he says, but then it changed. Again, he's talking about his conversion here. And I want you to look at verses 15 and 16 and notice who's in charge. Who's the one doing stuff in the story of Paul's conversion? He says, but, so that's what I was, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you see who's who's the one who's doing stuff in that? It's God. Uh, Every single step of the way, Paul says God was the one in charge. So not only is he saying the message he proclaimed is 100% from God, he's saying that his conversion is also 100% the work of God. It too is supernatural all the way through. Paul does nothing here. God does everything. So even in these first six verses or so, we can say that both the message of the gospel and the work of the gospel in bringing people to faith, both of those things are 100% from God. Paul contributes nothing to his own salvation. In fact, if you look there, uh, it says, God who set me apart from birth. God had all this in place before Paul had even taken his first breath. And just like Paul contributed nothing to his salvation, Paul contributed nothing to the message of the gospel either. Not Paul, and not even the other apostles like Peter or James. That's what the next little section is about. So Paul says at the end of verse 16, I didn't consult anyone, didn't even go to Jerusalem to get authorised by those who were apostles before me. Why would I need to, really, is is the implication, isn't it? Why would I need to get authorised by them? My authorisation comes direct from heaven, directly from Jesus. So we know uh, from Acts chapter 9, after being baptised, and then what he says here, 
He goes immediately into Arabia for a short time, then to Damascus. And while he's in Damascus, Acts tells us he's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no kind of off to college, off to training. Paul receives the message from Jesus and immediately he's preaching. He doesn't need extra authorization from Jerusalem. He just gets straight on with the job of telling people the good news. In fact, he keeps doing that for 14 years, telling people the good news that Jesus is the Son of God. And then after 14 years, he goes up again to Jerusalem, this time just to quietly check in with the leaders of the Jerusalem church for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. There had been some disturbances going on. And Paul just wants to make sure, just not to get authorised, but to confirm that his message is the right message. So he's asking himself, have I missed something? Have I left something out? The answer is an emphatic no. There's nothing missing from his message. So have a look at verse 3 of chapter 2. He says, yet not even Titus, who was with me on that trip to Jerusalem, even though he was Greek, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. So if the message is, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be part of the people of God, then you've got to become Jewish. You've got to be circumcised men. You would expect that in Jerusalem, that would be what the Jerusalem leaders say. But they say, no, no, no. Titus doesn't need to be circumcised. We agree, Paul. The gospel is about being saved by what God has done for us in Christ, not what we do with a scalpel. Or anything else. So verse 4, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. This is at the heart of the issue in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Because we don't need to add anything to what Jesus has done for us, The result of that is we have an incredible freedom as followers of Jesus, as Christians. There are no religious rituals, no specific prayers, no experiences that we need to go through, no sacrifices we need to make in order to be God's children. There's nothing that we need to fulfill. And anyone who tells you that you need Jesus plus something else What Paul's saying here, and he'll get into this in more detail later in the letter, that person is making you a slave to whatever that extra thing is. That extra thing that you have to do will become your master, and it will destroy you. Paul says, no way. Uh, I won't stand for that. We did not give in to them for a moment. The gospel he received from Jesus, the message of the good news, with a 100% supernatural origin, is true. He wants the truth of the gospel to remain with him so he doesn't back down. Uh, the The fact that this is the true gospel is confirmed by the apostles when he meets with them. So verses 6 through to 8 is talking about that. Paul's gospel is the real thing. It's 100% supernatural, 100% consistent with the message that Jesus taught his apostles in the days after the resurrection. And because it is 100% the message that Jesus had taught to Paul, 
it's no wonder that those two things align. Because it's the real deal, the true gospel, it is the message the Christians in Galatia can have confidence in. They don't need to be swayed by anything anybody else tells them. And the same message that they have is the message that we have in the Bible. A message that we too can have confidence in. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to change it. We don't need to worry about what other people will think about it. It's God's word. And it's God's word that matters. It's God's word that we need to listen to in the end. There are lots of ideas and fashions about things in this world. They pass. Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God, that stands forever. So this idea of confidence in the gospel, confidence in this message from God. In fact, later in the New Testament, Jude talks about it this way. He talks about the faith that once for all was entrusted to the saints. This idea of confidence in the message, uh, the God-given message of the gospel, that was right at the centre of what drove the Reformation forward. So, you know, um, in a week and a couple of days' time, it'll be the 500th anniversary of the start of the Reformation. And it's this confidence in the the God-revealed word, the God-revealed message that gave Martin Luther his impetus and his confidence 500 years ago to stand up against the power and the might and the authority and the wealth of the Roman church and declare it's in Christ alone that salvation is found. Not in the good works that you do, and certainly not in any additional grace that might be meted out by the authorities of the church when you do what they want you to do, whether that's say an extra mass or pray an extra prayer or give money indulgences. See, as Luther studied the Bible, as a monk, as he read the word of God, he saw that the church had been adding all sorts of extra bits and pieces to the message of the gospel that had been revealed. And the Reformation was all about getting back to the message that had been revealed, the truth of the gospel, the God-given gospel, rather than all the extra things that people had added over the years. Here's the thing. Uh, When people come up with a belief system or a system of religion, you'll find invariably somewhere embedded in that message is this idea of the things that we have to do in order to achieve harmony or or be in nirvana. Whether that's 2,000 years in Galatia, people was adding in extra bits, 500 years ago in Germany or, or right here in Sydney. The gospel that God revealed to Paul, preached by the apostles, recorded for us in the Bible, that gospel is not something that anyone would ever make up because it's, it's quite different to that idea of the things that you do to get right with God. It's way too generous. It, it offends our human pride. See, one of the criticisms you hear of Christianity is that it's just like all the other religions, right? There is, there's just one God. We don't really know everything about him, but all the religions are teaching basically the same thing, and so it doesn't matter what you believe. 
let me say, on the one hand, yeah, there, there's some truth in that. There is a lot of similarity between all the major religions. Uh, pretty much all of the major religions set a very high ethical standard for love and compassion, uh, for doing good to other people, even if there's no one else watching. The difference is, while all the other religions say, so here's the standard, if you keep trying, if you keep reaching for that, then maybe you'll win God's approval, maybe you'll get there. Christianity says, yeah, here's the standard, but no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to succeed in reaching that. Christianity says you can't do it. What you need is a saviour. According to, what, to, to the gospel revealed by God, it's not what you do, it's not what I do. It's what Christ has done for us. In Christ alone, my hope is found. That's what counts, nothing else. Maybe a way to help you remember this is um, to tell you the gospel is a four-letter word. Here's why the gospel is offensive to people. It's a four-letter word. Uh, Think of it this way. While other religions tell you what you should do if you want to make it to heaven or find peace with God or whatever, while other religions tell you what you should do, the gospel tells you about what God has, D-O-N-E, four letters, done. Other religions are do, the gospel is done. And there's something about that that runs against the grain of our human nature. We like to feel that we can contribute to our salvation. We like to feel that we are going to make a difference somehow, that our dignity is tied up with that. The message revealed by God, it says, your dignity is tied up with the fact that you're made in the image of God and he's saved you even when you're a sinner. He didn't wait for you to be get, get yourself sorted out. The gospel Paul preached that God revealed to him says it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done. And because you look around the other religions and they don't preach that, it makes you think, wow, that's got to come from God. No one would think that up. It's kind of like, here we go again, the difference between orange juice and tang. If you try to invent orange juice in the lab, what you come up with is tang. But no matter how much tang tries to pretend, it's actually nothing like orange juice. It's like that with man-made religion and the true religion revealed by God. A couple of other ideas just very briefly as we finish up. Um, The first one, I want to say an application from this. In the context of you being a congregation who are going to have to call another minister in the new year, Uh, when you're looking at people, when you've got someone in mind, do this. Run this person through the Galatians checker. You've got a spell checker or something on your computer, on your word processor. Run, Run this person through the Galatians checker. Don't call anyone who wants to add to the gospel. Don't call anyone who wants to improve on the gospel. Don't even touch someone who wants to reshape the gospel in order to make it seem more acceptable or pleasing to people. You want to be looking for someone who has absolute confidence that the gospel Paul preached 
is 100% supernatural, that it comes directly from God, and that it is therefore the power of God for salvation, as Paul says in Romans 1. Second thing I want to say, um, because that's true, that it is God's power for salvation, I want to encourage you to remember that you can have real confidence in sharing the message of the gospel with people you know. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to necessarily have any sort of training or a plan in your head even. If this is God's message and it is his power for salvation, then if you share that message, he will be at work in what you're doing. Worry less about whether or not you're capable of doing a really good job of being persuasive Rely a little bit more on God being at work in his message. And finally, last thing. If you're someone who's always thought that being a Christian is about trusting Jesus and hoping that you'll be good enough to get to heaven, take a moment just to realise that that's slavery. And it's crippling compared to the liberty and freedom that we have in the good news of the gospel that God revealed to Paul. Anything that you are counting on to get you to heaven apart from Christ will enslave you. It will become your master. That's certainly what Martin Luther was discovering as he read the scriptures. He was calling out to God, how, how can I do this? Then he had his great moment of discovery that The righteousness he was trying to achieve is his as a gift of God in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, there is nothing left to pay. There is no more for you to do. It's a four-letter word, D-O-N-E. It's about what God has done. That's the message that came direct from God to the Apostle Paul. It was the message that he preached to the Galatians. What Galatians tells us is any other message is not good news at all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that the gospel really is good news. Not because it tells us that we're good enough, but it tells us that you're incredibly kind and gracious and powerful. Father, help us never to get trapped and enslaved by worrying about what we need to do in order to win your favour. But as people who have been changed through what Christ has done, help us to live as free people, using our freedom to keep in step with the Spirit. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.